Hello folks and welcome back. You're listening to the High Performance Human Podcast and I'm your host, Simon Ward. I'm 58 now and I'm passionate about finding the best ways to refresh the mind, refuel the body and rebuild strength so that I can keep doing what I love into my 60s and 70s. If you have similar goals to me, then I hope you'll join me each week as I bring you amazing guests from around the world, all with the goal of helping you to improve your sporting performance, regardless of whether you're a triathlete, an ocean swimmer, an ultra runner, or a gravel racer. And before I tell you about this week's guest, firstly, I'd like to say thank you so much to Cheryl Callum, whose generous donation has covered the costs of this week's podcast. Cheryl, this episode is dedicated to you. In the four years since the podcast launched, we've managed to do so without adverts. And I'd like to continue in this manner, but the costs of producing the weekly podcast, like everything else, are growing annually. If you're interested in making a one-off or a regular donation to the podcast to help cover our costs, then in return, I will dedicate the episode to you and we can avoid that thorny issue of adverts. You can find a link in the show notes or... You can email Beth at thetriathloncoach.com for further details. This week, I am joined by Jan Sibberson, owner and founder of Sailfish Wetsuits and still officially the holder of the swim record at the Ironman World Championships in Kona, Hawaii. So let's dive straight in and get chatting with Jan. Welcome to the show, Jan Sibberson of Sailfish Wetsuits. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Simon. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, Jan. I, I've been, up until COVID stopped us, I've been going to uh, Kona now since 2002. And uh, before then, I was watching the highlights. And obviously, you were always coming out of the swim first. So we, we ought to talk about well, how you got into triathlon, what was your background growing up, and um, how you became an Uber swimmer. <laughs> Yeah, um, well, the, the the story on how I got into triathlon is actually quite a long one. So maybe we start with um, with me uh, growing up, hmm. and um, I I basically grew up as a as a swimmer and as a skier. Um, so I was very big into skiing, and uh, I think at the age of uh, fourteen, I I was in both uh, junior national teams, uh, both swimming, um, so the long distance freestyle. And also skiing, um, but skiing would have involved me moving to the Alps and um, yeah, didn't really want to do that for various reasons back then. So um, it ended up being a swimming career. And um, then slowly but surely, uh, I, I stuck my head out a little bit further and yeah, eventually the, um, the first triathlons came around and uh uh in 2001 that was kind of like my first real triathlon year then yeah were you a downhill skier then i was uh at the point where i there, there was no specialization yet uh, so mm-hmm. basically you start out as a uh, as an all-rounder you do slalom you do super g you do uh downhill mm-hmm. and i think usually the the specialization starts at 15 16 or so um but i did like the slalom part like the fast quick uh left right uh, that was that was really where i was probably best at or most talented at and did you, would it be fair to say then that you use cycling as a summer activity to keep you fit for skiing? Because I know a lot of the skiers um, are keen cyclists in the off season. Um, I, I definitely doesn't hurt. Um, but what I, why I, I was always a relatively good uh, cyclist because I cycled to school, <laughs> and there was there was a. Uh, a 17 or 19 percent hill uh, on the way to school and it was i don't know maybe a 500 meters or maybe a kilometer but i tried to chase best times to school and uh, i would get to school like completely sweaty and <laughs> but um but with, an, with with best time so i was always very even competitive before 8 a.m in the morning yeah but that must have made it fun going home then because you had to go downhill as a matter of fact, it was uh, up and down, and so going home, there was it was a sh- uh, the, the school was kind of on that hill, um, so there was also a small hill on the way home, but definitely more fun, yeah. But it was one one of those like kamikaze uh, drops, and uh, yeah, not really to enjoy that much. I, I've taken up skiing latterly. I think I was fifty three when I started, so the, the opposite way around to you. How's it going? Is it is it, it a downhill right now, or is it, is there slalom involved? No, 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 no. I'm I'm. I'm okay. I can stay up on two feet and I can find my way down most slopes 
steadily. I can do some blacks. I'm not I'm not off piste yet, but you know, I uh, I've I've had um, I've had three knee operations and a broken collarbone in the last few years, so I've I've sort of got to balance out recklessness versus um, sanity and aging longevity. <laughs> Um, but I, I love descending fast on my bike and I get the same thrill of not just going fast, but, but, um, the process of getting the cornering, right, getting the entry into the corner, right. And the entry out. And, um, so well, there's, just... there's certainly similarities, but yeah. absolutely. I would, I would totally agree. And, and the thrill of going fast, uh, uh, without a car hitting you, I mean, some other stuff might hit you on the, on the skiing part, but, uh, no, that's, yeah. that's the nice part about skiing. Yeah. That, they, if you get if you fall down when you're going fast, whether it's skiing or cycling, they both hurt, don't they? So you were skiing, and so you, I guess you had to do both activities all year round, didn't you? You had to swim all year round to be good, but you have to prepare for skiing during the summer as well. So did that did that take a lot of your time growing up, or did you find it easy to balance? Um, as a, as a matter of fact, yes, you, it was both kind of all year round sports. Um, but what what would happen was uh, I would basically swim and and it, it didn't really work it doesn't really work well with each other from a from a muscular uh, from the physiolo uh, physiology uh, point of view um but i would basically train swimming monday through friday and then um on friday morning on friday after school my parents would pick me up and we would drive to the alps um in the in the fall and even up all the way in, into the spring and then it would be skiing maybe a little bit friday night saturday sunday all day sunday back home in the car five hours back we were living in, in northern bavaria and then Monday morning back to school and back into swim practice. So kind of like, you know, five days of swimming and three days of skiing. And that that couldn't go on forever was very clear also. Yeah. That's, that sounds like an idyllic childhood. It, it, it was very uh, <laughs> idyllic. Um, and, and both my parents were, were teachers, so they had a lot of time. And we, you know, we went, we always went away during uh, vacations and usually it was something sports related. Um, so, uh, yeah, well protected and very idyllic, but also quite competitive. Like, uh, I think at some stage, my my dad was definitely more competitive than me. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't to a bad degree, but I mean, definitely very um, uh, motivated out there. And I think. You know when it when it when it comes to swimming and when you when you reach uh, puberty in swimming and everybody all your mates they go out at night and, and on the weekends and, and and dating girls and stuff and and you're the swimmer and me weekends mean that you swim twice on Saturdays and usually twice on Sundays it's not so much fun right and and sometimes you actually need somebody who gives you a little kick in uh, in the butt uh, to to stick with it so i'm actually i'm super thankful for for him being so motivated during those years what what level did you um manage to reach then as a swimmer um so i swam between between 1990 and 2000 i swam for the german national team okay um so it was first was the junior national team then it was the b national team uh, I swam at European uh, Championships, at World Championships, and um, I missed uh, the Olympics twice. So I went to the trials, but um, yeah, it wasn't super close miss. Uh, you know, I swam, I, I swam a three fifty six uh, in, in the four hundred free, um, and uh, you would go to to the Olympics at uh, three fifty two. So I mean, four seconds is is something, right? Um, on the other hand, it's not it's not age it's not miles away from uh, from that, and on, maybe on an amazing day you can mm -hmm. you can pull it off. But you know, at the end of the day, I was I was very happy with my swimming career. I I'd achieved really a lot, um, and I managed to to study in the states because of swimming. I got a, a swimming scholarship, etc. So um, no, I was I was actually very content by the end of my my swimming career, which came in in two thousand. Yeah. Okay, you, you've talked about growing up. You were cycling to school, and obviously you were swimming a lot. Did did you do much running then? Uh, here and there, yes, yes. Um, uh, I, I grew up in a very small town, so uh, the we only had a twenty-five meter pool, um, and we also couldn't go to it that often. Uh, so uh, my dad always believed in a well-rounded physical education, so to say. 
And I actually, I hated running back then. I, I really, I, it was the worst thing. And he sometimes said, look, you know, you got to run in the morning before school. So, you know, it's uh, sometimes I just left the, left the house and um, basically went around the block and I took a water bottle with me and I poured it over my head. So it <laughs> seemed like I was sweating when I came back, but I just like basically waited a block, a block away because I hated it so much. Um, I mean, I still don't love it, uh, but I've definitely come to appreciate it over the years. Mm. Uh, but I think it definitely helped um, uh, back then to be well-rounded and to have this exposure to 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 skiing to running to cycling to swimming a little bit of volleyball was in there um so i think that really helped um for for in, like for the development of, of an overall athlete yeah yeah there's no doubt um from my experience of working with triathletes and athletes from from other sports is that 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 um what what the eastern europeans would call general preparedness um yeah. is actually much better for your longevity in a sport isn't it because you just have a more resilient framework so you um you know one of the things i've noticed when uh, people coming to triathlon from swimming is perhaps that they don't have the um the structure around the ankles and the and the calves and the feet that enables them to pick up the volume so they either have to take that slowly or they get injured that's correct yeah yeah mm. i remember when i sort of got into triathlon you know i i twisted my ankle once and uh, i think they were so loose usually they would have popped uh uh, immediately, but I think my, my angles were so loose that they didn't pop. I mean, it was still like thick, like as hell, but, uh, I was like, Oh, maybe I should do some more stability stuff on that mm -hmm. end. Yeah. So what was your inspiration for getting into triathlon then? Uh, you know, I mean, in the, in the early mid nineties, it was really, you know, still regarded as a sport of the crazy people, I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, but we had this one guy, in our club team, in our swim team, uh, who was a triathlete and who had actually back then already in the mid nineties qualified for Kona. And, uh, you know, he, you know, he would be in the newspaper and people would talk about him, read about him. And I was like, you know, maybe one day, maybe one day it's something that, uh, that I, I want to do. And, and it, it, and it sounded appealing to me. And, uh, eventually there was a triathlon in my hometown um in the early 90s and i got one of these old peugeot bikes and uh and and got on it and, and did the race uh had a had a fantastic swim obviously um and then um was still actually leading for the most part of the bike i think and then i finished like in sixth or in 10th in place somewhere around there and i thought you know this you know with the exception of the of the way my knees hurt that was really the, the thing I still remember today. It was crazy. Like after cycling, running, and then the 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 hurt in the knees was just insane. But other than that, I thought it was really really cool, and um, and it's and it stuck to me. And I always did an, one or two triathlons uh, during the off season of the swimming off season in the summer. Uh, and then once, yeah. And then there was a, a couple of. Uh, how shall I say, uh, uh, lucky uh, factors that kind of like got me really into triathlon. But that didn't happen until I really, I ended my my swimming career. Yeah. Okay. Can you talk about those lucky factors then? Lucky factors were, I was living in New York City. Um, I was an investment banker. I didn't have any time. I had a friend visiting me and he signed up for uh, the half half uh, Ironman in St. Croix in the U.S. Mm. Virgin Islands. And and back then, all I wanted was a vacation from, from investment banking because, uh, uh, you know, those were not 40-hour weeks. This was more like double uh, the time. And, you know, I basically sold it to my boss and said, look, you know, I want to uh, do this race in the Caribbean. And she was thrilled about it. Uh, so essentially I, I wanted to have a vacation, um, but ended up signing up for ending, ended up signing up for this half Ironman race. And then I trained in Central Park and, uh, on the West side highway up and down and, uh, and swam at a, at a, at a, at a pool in downtown Manhattan. And, um, yeah, went to the Island of St. Croix, had a blast, absolute, uh, amazing experience, um, and um, won my age group uh, out of nowhere uh, back then, 25 to 29, and uh, got a ticket for Kona. Wow. And that's how I got into the sport, for real. Yeah. 
Okay, so what, what year was that again? That was 2001. That was in uh, that was in May 2001, and uh, obviously then there was 9/11 uh, mm-hmm. in September. And a month later, I think it was one of the first major sports events in the world after 9/11. And I think uh, you know the the Americans or Ironman they really wanted to put it on to show the world that uh, yeah that uh, global sports is back. Um, yeah, so I was there on the on the start line, and uh, while at the same time um, uh, still working in in investment banking. Yeah, Tim DeBoom won that year as well, didn't he? So there was a lot of happiness as uh, as he crossed the line. A lot of a uh, lot of stars and stripes, flag waving. Yeah, yeah, that was definitely good for the Americans. Yeah. So I'm assuming that you would have set the age group swim record in that year then. Well, you know, the, as a matter of fact, uh, it, it, it never really, uh, I never knew, I, I still don't know today what, what the swim, what, what the, um, what the age group record is. So for me, it was always, uh, it was always the overall record, you know, and, and I knew I, the first, the first year 2001 was the only year I went to Hawaii not really like fully focused on the swim record. I was like, okay, you know, this is going to be great. I want to be the fastest swimmer there and maybe I can break the record. Uh, but it wasn't really uh, my, my utmost goal. It, it became my goal from 2002 onwards, but in 2001, it was really more about the experience. And I had a feeling that I could be the fastest swimmer, mm. but um yeah, uh, I went on a fishing trip uh, the, the Sunday before the race, and it was super wavy, and I got seasick, and I threw up, and I basically spent all race week in Kona trying to recover from that fishing trip. Mm-hmm. So um, I actually thought, in in retrospect, that I got I was very lucky to get first out of water back in two thousand one. Um, but those were still the beautiful days where there was only one wave uh, that started. And uh, the pros would start 20 meters ahead of you. And then all the age groupers came. So basically 2,000 people started at once. So the guy or whoever came first out of the water was really first out of the water. And uh, I mean, it's so much different today, right? Uh, Yeah. I think I was was very lucky on timing as well. Yeah. Wow. It's so much different today. I mean, this this will be the first year in Kona when they're going to have split days of racing. Um, yeah, so that's that's going to be interesting to see, not just not just from an athlete perspective, but from volunteers, because uh, anybody who volunteers for two days is going to spend an awful lot of time in the sun. They're going to be very, very tired at the end of the uh, end of the week. I, I always say that it's harder to support and to watch an Ironman race live than actually doing it. I've volunteered for the last few years, um, starting with catching people at the finish line between eight and midnight because it was the only way that I could get to the finish of the race and, and stay up because getting up at 4am, I always fall asleep about 8pm. Um, but then last time we were there in 2019, my friend persuaded me also to um, be on the swim start. So we were in there at 4am at helping all the athletes get their kit and then getting them out of the water and through the showers and everything. Went and had breakfast. Then you've got to stay awake all day and then go back at midnight. So it's, yeah, I'm not sure if I can do that on two days, but we'll see. That's a tough one, yeah. Mm. Okay, so it, at what point did you turn pro then, Jan? Because I, I do recall that you raced as a pro at Kona, didn't you, at some point? Indeed, indeed. So I raced as an age grouper in 2001, two, and three, and I raced pro in 2004. Mm-hmm. Now, technically, you know, I was I was a pro already in 2003 because uh, that's when I I, I I quit my banking career at the end of 2002. Mm-hmm. But I also uh, broke my shoulder um, windsurfing in Hawaii um, after the race in 2002. So and it took forever to 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 heal that. And um, I wasn't uh, too sure whether I could qualify uh, for Kona in twenty in two thousand three as a pro. So I said, okay, let's do another year as an age grouper. Mm-hmm. But then in two thousand four, I really, I really, I turned in uh, a pro card, or I I uh, got a pro card and raced pro there. Yeah. Mm. So um, let's talk about swim training then. How did your swim training change from when you were a pure swimmer um, to when you were a triathlete? Um, 
talk us through what you what, what sort of volume and um yeah. weekly sessions you did as um as a swimmer and then um then you you triathlon swim training yeah yeah so i mean you know naturally uh, just by by pure let's say definition and, and time available uh the training has to change significantly and you know growing up as a swimmer uh you have I think you have so much mileage in you and uh, that you only need to kind of like keep it alive. And, and uh, it goes a long, long way. Um, and, you know, it goes all the way to, to being 43, actually, I guess we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit, but um, as a swimmer, you know, you would train at a, at the highest level, you would train uh, 12, uh, 13 sessions a week. Um, so basically doubles every day, except Sunday or yeah, uh, maybe take a day off. Um, and that brings you to, depending on whether you're long distance or more, more sprinter, but I was medium long distance that brings you up to, let's say on average 50 to 60 kilometers a week in, in, in the pool. And, um, I would say that goes down, um, as a triathlete that goes probably down to 15 to 20, maybe 25 K, uh, a week. But I think it, that was totally enough to keep the swimming at, you know, it's not at a hundred percent anymore, of course, uh, but it, 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 the swimming stays at 90% of your, of your levels uh, that you had as a, as a swimmer, but mm. obviously you have to make time for, for cycling and running as well. And, uh, physio and, and, uh, core and all this fun stuff. Right. Mm. Um, but I think what, what, you know, and I don't want to, I don't want to say I did many, uh, empty or, or stupid miles in the pool, but it really uh, triathlon swim training really focuses you or really trains you to focus on the important stuff because you can do the, you know, you do the cardio on the bike. And uh, so uh, swimming for me as a triathlete was always about the, the swim specific endurance work and power work. Those were the two things that I would focus on because pure cardio heart work, heart rate. I mean, that's that stuff you take care of otherwise. Yeah. Mm. yeah i always think it's a bit disingenuous of people like mark foster um I, I know he's full of good intentions but he'll say yeah you only need to swim x number of k a week of course when he started doing that he'd already like you he'd already got those years of big mileage behind him and like you say once you've got the treadmill rolling you only need to do so much to keep it to keep it going um for most people they don't have the benefit of those hard yards when they're young so they have to put more volume in um, I think I think um, I think for most people, the best advice I can give is is really is uh, continuity. It's it's more I think it's more important than than anything else. You know, it's because swimming. If if you don't swim on a regular basis, you lose mm. your feeling for the water, etc. So uh, it 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 really really pays off. Even if you if you're tired and if you if your stroke is maybe not not amazing, but it really pays off to be in the water consistently. Yeah, yeah. And I've from personal experience and um, also from coaching people, I found that frequency also. So if if you've only got a couple of hours to devote a week, sometimes twenty minutes a day can get you the feel for the water and the efficiency. And and triathlons for me, I think for a lot of people that they're, they're, they're busting a gut to try and get you know, drop, drop 30 or 60 seconds where they could just be more efficient and then use that extra time to, to spend on improving on the bike and the run, because that's a much larger proportion of the race, isn't it? So you, you've got the opportunity to make bigger gains there. Oh, I, absolutely. I, I fully agree. You know, it's, uh, well, with, with swimming, especially at a at a certain uh, at a certain speed, and when you when you want to get faster, you have to proportionally put in so much more effort mm -hmm. to 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 increase your speed by a second or so, and then you gain whatever thirty seconds for the entire race. Whereas if you you know take that time and put it into um, any of the other two disciplines, or if you take core work and and whatever else there is uh, into the equation as well, it it's a better investment. To, to be honest yeah i i had a good conversation um a couple of years back with robin brew um who you probably competed against both as a triathlete and as a swimmer and robin said you know one of the biggest impacts um training had on or one of the biggest training impacts that he had on his swimming was spending six weeks really really focusing on his mobility so he was able to get a better position in the water so he was more streamlined because that actually added as much time as six months of swim training 
You know, but I, if I, you know, once you, once you've been in the sport for 20 years and, and I've, I've done swim clinics and I've given swim clinics and, and so on and so forth, you see so much, right. And, and then you, you but, but, you know, you look at, you look at people who get into triathlons, who want to get to the next level and, and what do they do and what they focus on. And I, I, I would, I would tend to agree that, you know, if you, um, and then you see people who, who train a lot of swimming in the winter and especially in the Northern hemisphere when, when they can't cycle outside or, you know, this is, this is maybe pre pre swift uh, cycling, but um you know, I think, and and then and then they go to whatever Mallorca and go on a two-week uh, training camp, and they don't swim at all, and then boom, the swim is gone. It's everything yeah. is lost again. So I honestly think that if you know, it's, it's swimming is super crucial during the during the race time, like maybe five six weeks out of your most important race. Uh, and this is usually also the time when people uh, injure themselves because they train too much running and cycling. Mm. So, you know, maybe that's my five cents here. Um, during during the racing season, try to focus a little bit more on swimming and do your, do your running and cycling more your know, base work more in the winter time. That, that's mm. that's what I that's how, how I would approach it. No, I, I agree. I, I do I do think sometimes that there's too much emphasis on certain aspects of swimming, like Right, I've got to go into the pool and I've got to swim fast because, you know, they've heard some coaches say swimming fast is the only way to get faster. And that's, as we both know, that's an absolute nonsense. I, I've talked to a couple of coaches about whether the 80-20 approach, you know, polarized training works for swimmers as well as it does for other um, aspects of triathlon. And I think absolutely it does, you know. Uh, occasional amounts of fast work, just so you've got an acceleration and a different speed if you need it. Um, but mostly getting in the pool and just getting the process mastered, you know, the streamlining, the stroke, um, just the rotation and just being comfortable being in the, in the water. Uh, I agree a hundred percent. It's uh, I would say that, you know, nine out of 10 triathletes should focus on reducing resistance or drag in the water Yeah. yeah. Uh, and pretty much nothing else. Yeah. And if yeah. they get that, if they get that right, they already swim 10, 20, 30%, uh, whatever faster, yeah. um, uh, without even thinking about, you know, crazy sets and left, right and center, just try to get the streamline, right. And try not to create, uh, too much resistance by, by sticking, sticking your foot, uh, 90 degrees to the side. We, we see it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, do do clinics myself and we we often video the athletes in the water and you know you see them they've got their sinking legs and they think well i've got muscular legs but you know robin brew had muscular legs and he swam all right in the pool so it's not it's not muscular legs but what you see is people sitting down all day at their desk so the hip flexors are tight they're, they're hunched over on a bike so their upper back's tight they they can't get the rotation they can't get the you know their arms don't straighten out of the water never mind in the water um so back to your comments, um, fi fix the uh, fix the drag issues and you'll go a lot faster, a lot quicker than if you um, try to just get fitter. 100%. 100%. I know you, you're not specifically a coach, Jan, but you've got a lot of experience of swimming, both from your own personal thing and obviously seeing swimmers through your, through your wetsuit business. Um, we we did a podcast with some coaches recently. We were talking about bits of bits of kit that triathletes love taking to the pool in their big net bags. Um, which which ones are you fond of and think are useful, and which ones do you do you try to um, wish people would avoid? Um, when I swam at co in, in in college, uh, our coach would always say, uh, and this is like these are all good swimmers, right? The collegiate uh, swim team. And our coach would say. You know, before you use any of these tools, learn how to swim properly without them, and then we can talk about it. And that's what he said to an NCAA Division One team. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that kind of like that 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 portrays a bit my view on on the swimming aids that are that are being used. Um, what I believe uh, is 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 a good swimming help are the jammers, the neoprene jammers um, mm -hmm. versus a pool boy, because it, it's much more natural. Um, the extra buoyancy that you get with a jammer. And for example, what what do I what do I not like to see are like super big paddles. 
you know, when I see these people show up with paddles as big as a plate, as a dinner plate, and I'm just looking at them and I'm like, you know, dude, that's not, that's, uh, you're going to ruin your stroke. You're going to ruin your, um, your shoulders. And there's no way, you know, you can hold this up for, uh, for more than, for more than uh, 50 meters, maybe. Right. So I would, I would say, you know, keep it, keep it small on the, on the pedals. Um, I think pedals is a good thing. Don't get me wrong, because because you have a better grip, and even for for stroke work or for for technique work underwater, it gives you a better feedback um, where your hand is and 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 how things are looking under the water. But um, as soon as uh, as they get too big, um, they um, become very, they can become potentially very very harmful. Mm. And uh, look, I mean, back in in my days as a swimmer, then you know you had a kickboard and you had you had fins. That's basically what we would would work with. Uh, anyone who's tried using a lot of fins after a cycling session or running session knows that the cramps are coming pretty much immediately. So mm-hmm. I think that's something you can probably leave at home. Um, but, and, and, and there's really not that much kicking that you need. So in, in, in essence, you know, uh, I think it's, it, it comes down to the, the most essential, uh, two tools would be, uh, a neoprene jammer and, and, and a small size, uh, pedal set. That's it. That's, that's interesting because most of the coaches were uh, a little, well, I'm not sure about neoprene jammers. Um, I, I think all of the things are tools that you use at the right time for a specific purpose, you know, like paddles, like fins. I like, I like people to use fins because I want them to get the mechanical action of kicking and kicking the legs in the right, in the right way, rather than sort of, you know, the scissor kicking. Um, I think, I think that the reason the coaches are maybe a little bit hesitant on that, and I can fully understand it is if you use it all the time, yeah. then you get used to it. Right. And yeah. then, and then, I mean, it helps your, it helps your technique tremendously. And then you take it off, and then everything falls apart. So the key, the I think the, yeah. the key to the, the solution is really to to use it sporadically and take the learnings or the good feeling or the better water feeling with you, and then try to replicate it without. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, it, you know, I see people turning up to the swimming pool now, and they haven't just got their speedos on under their jeans. They've got they've already put their their uh, neoprene jammers on when they were, when they were getting up in the morning, and they swim the whole session. And of course, it helps them to swim a little bit faster because the hips are higher. And so then they go into a faster lane. And of course, then like most guys and some girls, if they put if if they have to drop down a lane, then that hurts their ego. So they never want to do that. So then they're, they're stuck with them, really. Um, but I do think if 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 you've ever tried swimming a long set in the pool with a wetsuit on, you can get terribly dehydrated. So I think that's where jammers come in and giving you that feeling of of being in the wetsuit, the higher hips and uh yeah, and 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 obviously, like you say, um, take a pool boy out and wear the jammers enables you to to get the correct uh, kicking action as well. True. Okay. Good. Well, next question then. You come out of the swim. I, I, I'm I'm a good age group swimmer. I quite often come out uh, third or fourth in my age group. When I when I did Norseman, I was fifth out of the water. Okay, overall. Oh, wow. And. I'm nowhere near your speed, Jan, but I think my fastest Ironman swim was 54 minutes in Austria. So I'm okay. Yeah. Um, but the thing that I experience is that, and particularly at Norseman, where you've got a two-hour climb out from the from the fjord up to the top of the plateau, is that then all the all the Uber cyclists who um, aren't as fast in the water suddenly come past me, and you feel like you're standing still. You're working hard, and I, you know, you said you were a reasonable cyclist, but I guess in Kona you would come out, and then Norman and Jurgen would just go whizzing past like they had motorbikes. Um, did, did that? How did that feel to you? Because the reality is, you're not actually doing that bad. It's just that you feel like you are because it feels like every man and his dog is going past you. Oh, let me let me start this uh, to answer this one with maybe the, the the anecdote about 2018 and and the swim record. So you know broke the swim record in Kona, um, but that wasn't the only record I broke on that day. I also think, and I you know I haven't done the math, but I think I arrived. Um, so I did a 10:25, and uh, I think I was like 1500s or maybe 1400s <laughs> or so. So I believe that I was also the athlete that was most passed. 
on that right. day out of everybody in the field, right? I mean, questionable uh, honor, but um, um, and, I, and I guess by giving the answer or by, by putting in that front, it already gives some of the answer. You know, uh, it depends on how you, you know, what you expect to happen and, 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 and manage that, right? And, uh, as, and during an Ironman race, I, I kind of knew that I was, I was never going to win this thing. So it was expected that these guys would show up. You know, I got to meet some very famous people, especially in the beginning um, of the of the day. But um, it was a whole different story, and I think I was also more talented on the on the Olympic distance triathlon. Mm. A whole different story there, where you know I I really wanted to win these races. And uh, literally, like there was, I, I remember, I remember it uh, for the rest of my life. There was one race in Munich, and I was an Olympic distance race, and I was leading the race all the way, all the day until five minute meters before the finish line when Lothar Leder catched me. Wow! Sorry, caught me. And uh, yeah, and and that those are the things that hurt, right? Because you've been you've been in the lead for two hours or whatever, and then. On the line, you get you get caught, and mm. you know, I got caught nine in, in, at nine k at eight k and in Olympic uh, distances. So this is the stuff when uh, when you know you go on the run, you are the you are the rabbit that's being chased, and uh, the your lead is melting, and you start doing the math, and then your brain doesn't function anymore because you're because because the heart rate is at whatever. Uh, and then you're like, damn, you know, am I going to make it? Am I not going to make it? So, so that's, those were the really stressful times for me in, in, in triathlon. Did, did you, did you ever have conversations with Jürgen and Thomas, Thomas Hellriegel about that? Cause Thomas famously got caught by Mark Allen having led in Kona for a long way, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I had, I had one instance, um, in Kona actually, and not really a conversation. It was more like I got yelled at. So, so I was, I think it was, I don't know if it was 2001 or 2002, but I, I was leading and those guys were catching up on me. I think it was 2001, my very first year. And then first, uh, Thomas passed me and, uh, uh, and then Jürgen passed me. And then I actually, I actually passed Jürgen again. And, uh, and Thomas pulled away a little bit and then Jürgen passed me and he yelled at me like as if there was no tomorrow, like what the hell I'm doing. And he's like, he's, like, he's doing all this in German and I'd never met him before. Um, and, and he dropped out of that race uh, and we met afterwards and became really, really good friends uh, up till today. But uh, that was my experience with the Uber bikers uh, that you don't mess with them. <laughs> yeah. Do you, um, in those years then, did they still have the bike preem? So you had to get to like, was it 40 K out of Kona first and then finish the race to get the bike preem? Um, they still had that, but they only had it for the pros and I okay. was still racing amateur. So I didn't get it. I never got it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So how many, how many years were you able to compete at Kona before you were, uh, before you stopped? So I raced in Kona 2001 uh, through 2004, so it was four years. Yeah, uh, four years of first out of water, and uh, and then I didn't qualify anymore in 2005 or 2006, mm. and then in 2007 I started sailfish, and then yeah, it kind of like went down from there, kind of sort of yeah. Okay, so what? 2018 was when you came back. You talked about the swim record. We should tell people listening because probably going, go on, tell us the time. Tell us the time. 46:29 was the time. That's just ridiculous. In in a, in those conditions, you know. I mean, I guess you can probably tell us in a minute whether it was a good year um, in Kona. And there are there are good years and bad years out there. The swell, the current, where there's been a storm at sea. Um, and everything but what what was it that drove you to uh, to come back and try and regain the record you know i mean it, it was it was so frustrating um between 2001 and 2004 um i missed the record once i missed it by 6 seconds and once i missed it by 20 seconds and 20 sec you know over 46 minutes and change it's really not that much mm. uh it, you know it's, it's the equivalent 6 seconds that's 10 meters that that's really it um and it, it you know it, it basically you know whether you where you position swell all all that you said so it was really nagging on me because I thought, you know, this can't be true and, uh, you know, I should have this record. And then life came in the way kind of for, for some years and building up sailfish and, 
and really didn't think much about it. Uh, and I also didn't go that often back to Kona um, until 2016 when I joined uh, the then known un the then unknown Patrick Lange uh, on his first year to Kona, on his first trip. And I said, hey, you know, this guy is coming from my hometown here and uh, I'll, I'll join him. And he, he had won Ironman Texas that year uh, out of the blue, first Ironman and wins it. So I was like, oh, you know, this might be a good year to go back to Kona. And I was at the start line that morning in 2016. And, uh, you know, if you've ever experienced it, and you have, obviously, uh, it's uh, it's a very, very special, very magic feeling. Um, and it's But it's even worse when you're outside and you think, man, I should be in the water there. I shouldn't, mm -hmm. I shouldn't stand out here. And, uh, and, I, and yeah, and, and, and I, and I, and I thought, well, you know, maybe let's, let's give it another shot and, uh, let's just put work, uh, aside, not, not, a, not fully aside, but let's make it the number one focus and let's try to, uh, to, uh, to break it, uh, to break that record. Um, because I, you know, memory always, uh, it tends to favor the positive part uh, parts, and I was and thinking back, I was like, why didn't I make it back then? Oh, I, I didn't make it because I didn't really fully focus on the swim. So let's fully focus on the swim, and uh, and so I, I, you know, I basically kept or started training right after after Kona 2016. Uh, Patrick took third place and uh, uh, went on to qualify, and in 2017. Raced in 2017 uh, was still way too slow, um, and it was also a rough day. Mm. Um, but then in in 2018, uh, I was ready, and really it it all came together. I was in shape. I was uh, uh, the the conditions were really good, um, and I I just gave it all. And uh, uh, yeah, I don't want to say I got lucky. I mean, I got lucky in terms of the conditions, but I but. Uh, but it, it all came together and um, still, I think it was still the best sports day of my life. So 20, uh, 2018, um, they'd spread out the starts a little bit, hadn't they then? So pros went off, females went off 15 minutes behind. Is that right? Or was it five minutes behind then? So I think um, uh, 2018 was the last year with a mass start for the age groupers. Okay. Uh, because I I also think that nowadays with the age group waves, mm. I'm not saying it's impossible, but if you, let's say, if you are like, I don't know, uh, 35 to 39 and you have to swim through two or three mm. waves ahead of you, there's no way you can, you can break the record. No. no. Uh, so that was, uh, again, I was super lucky that that was the last year and the pros, I think, yeah, it was 15 or 20 minutes before. So um, I think I caught three women uh three female pros um but uh there was no no obstacles let's put it that way yeah. had you been had you been doing much swimming then in between when you when you last competed in Kona and then 2016 and 17 were you still training regularly or were you entirely focused on sailfish then I always try to stay fit to a certain degree, right? Uh, I think that's uh, that's when you when you when you eat, breathe, and sleep sports kind of, uh, yeah. and, and you're a sportsman by heart. You never you never stop. Uh, but I wasn't. I didn't do any competitions. I was focusing focusing. I was more in, on the surfboard and and kite surfing and and that sort of thing. Um, but I I stayed genu genuinely fit. Mm. And uh, I would say I swam maybe maybe once, twice a week. But what kept me in the pool was also the testing of prototypes for the for sailfish. I mean, uh, not only wetsuits, but also swimsuits, swim skins, any product uh, or even a tri suit. You know, it, it needs to be tested, and usually it needs to be tested in the water. So I would be regularly uh, in the pool uh, testing my own my own products. Mm. back to the general conditioning right if you keep that underlying level of fitness doing lots of things it's much easier to pick up um when you need to oh 100 100 it, it goes so much quicker and uh you know going going back to what you said earlier even if it's 20 minutes a day i mean mm. and and uh you know i spend a lot of time in, in south africa and there is a small pool and i jump in uh, pretty much on a daily basis but before breakfast for 10 15 20 minutes max but uh 
I just got back this week and went into swim, swim practice and I, I was able actually to do an hour of swimming, which mm-hmm. would have never been possible if, if you don't do anything, right? Uh, so you, uh, it's so important to keep the, the general conditioning, the general fitness to a, to a certain minimum level kind of, yeah. I have a friend with a place out in Barbados, right on the beach. And uh, I think the only swim training we did was we would ride in the morning or run when it was cooler. And then in the evening before sunset, we would go down to the beach, swim around out of the harbor, around by the yacht club, and then back in, which is about five or 600 meters. Sometimes we'd add a bit on. There's lots of fishing boats, so you could sort of stop at one, sprint to another, you know, swim easy to another, do like a little fart lake. But I think maximum we swam was 750 each day which would probably be 20 minutes and then when you come out you're in the harbour you walk up the steps to the yacht club and have a beer and then just jump back in and swim across the beach when I got back to Yorkshire the same as you there I got back in the pool with my normal swim group and I'd lost no fitness whatsoever in the pool yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah so brilliant just keep, keep the consistency that's a, that's a big lesson I think that I'll, um, very, very I think big lesson. Uh, yeah. def- definitely for swimming Okay, so you've talked about um, – oh, actually, before we go on to Sailfish, I want to talk about this record attempt. When you're, when you're out there on your own, um, you know, it's not like being in the pool where you can – you know, if you're adept at doing this, you can turn your head and look at the clock, and swimmers are usually pretty good at math, so they can work out where they are in terms of their pacing. Um, how do you do that when you're trying to break the record? You've, you know what the record is, but even knowing a certain point to get out to the turnaround at the submarine and the and the um, catamaran is it? You know, you don't know what the current's going to be like on the way back or the swell. So, how do you know you're on for a record attempt? Um, I think a large degree of that of the answer to that question is experience and feeling, uh, yeah. feeling for the water. Uh, I think that um, uh, number one, outside conditions. Um, that day, uh, I always checked the, the currents in, in Kona, mm. and um, it was again lucky. Uh, there was there uh, that the swim start uh, or that hour between, let's say, seven and eight o'clock was slack tide so mm. there was no movement in the water and that usually you i mean you know you, you never have that it's usually in kona you know you you go out relatively fast and you come back and you're swimming against the wall yeah that's at least what it, what it feels like so that year was very very rare occasion where there was no current either uh, on the way out or on the way back so that was super super helpful um <clears throat> number two i um uh, for, for some reason, I, I've always been very comfortable in uh, swimming in a in a straight line in open water. You know, I, I don't know why it is, but I think you know, for, from a swimmer's uh, uh, perspective or from open water swimming that I picked up relatively early, I was always able to keep a very straight line. And I know that um, you know from 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 obviously from many triathlons, but when when I swam with with a um, with a GPS. And you look at it afterwards, mm. uh, it, it used to be, or it's usually super, super straight. I didn't take a watch with me on in, in 2018 on the swim because I just didn't want to be bothered with it. And I thought it was more of, of a distraction uh, of looking at it than, than any help. And then really, um, it is uh, the feeling for the speed that you swim at. Uh, with without knowing how fast you actually you actually go. But that's something if you've if you and you know, I think. I did the math once and I think I swam about 40 to 50,000 miles my entire life. And you just know how fast you are uh, to, mm-hmm. a, to a certain extent. And you know how it feels. And it's so, it's such, it's so fine-tuned uh, everything that you, and, and I guess that's also part of the trick or not part of the trick, but, but part of, you know, you have to, you have to kind of like cut the swim part into pieces and not obviously not go out all out in the beginning. Uh, so you really want to to balance it out and to to uh, so that you are um, that that you swim efficiently and you still have uh, strength and endurance and power in the end. Um, and I think that worked really really well that day. Um, so for example, let's say the first thousand meters in Kona, uh, I hardly I, you know I hardly felt them. Uh, it was completely effortless. It was just gliding and keeping it long and keeping it all together. 
but you also got to keep your nerves and be like, okay, this feels really slow, but it should feel like that. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but that's, that's stuff that you can only learn over many, many years. And it's just, it goes over into your blood. Yeah. yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. Records only stand if you finish the whole race, right? That is correct. And I was actually reminded by that at the, uh, at the, at the swim exit, uh, right yeah. after I broke it, there was Andrew Messick, the CEO of Ironman. And he said, uh, and I was like uh, taking a little break <laughs> and he said, Jan, 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 you got to finish the race. I said, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. I got to finish it. And uh, I hadn't trained um, or basically I had not trained uh, cycling or running. I don't want to say at all. But to give you an idea, um, for the, in the months leading up to Kona, like June, July, August, September, um, I had cycled about 200k a month, and about I had run, my my running was at around 10k a week. Wow! So I went into this uh, with um, you know it was the last four four months or so was maybe a thousand kilometers on the bike and maybe 200 kilometers uh, running. But again, you know, life, lifetime mileage uh, was in the legs, and and it was an easy day. I mean, for Hawaii, for Hawaii um, mm. um, conditions, there was hardly any wind that day, um, and I think there was, it was also on the run. I think it was overcast to some extent. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, Patrick, Patrick's what he he went seven fifty four or whatever it was. Um, yeah. So. Uh, I, I still. Got, I, Still, when you when you when when you're running out towards the airport, <laughs> you're on your own. The sun's started to go down a bit. That that long stretch there can start to uh, weigh on your mind, can't it? The lack of miles. It yeah, but it, but you whenever it uh, whenever it it uh, it starts getting to you, you just have to remind yourself. Look, I I broke the swim record, and you just got to bring it to the finish line. Nothing. Yes. Else. I was more concerned that like my my bike a bike frame would break or like a. <laughs> The wheel would break or something like that that was when when i was actually on the run i was like okay now i'm bringing it home no matter what 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 was your actual uh, finish time on the day uh i think it was 10 25 oh so that's not too shabby really considering the lack of mileage true i don't think it was decent yeah it yeah. was still daylight it was still yeah, yeah it was still uh 20 minutes or so before sunset so nice that's a that's a nice time of day to finish on a lead drive Oh, it was, it's a perfect time. And it was also just in time for the press conference because Patrick had, I was his manager back then and he had just won the race mm. and the press conference was at six o'clock and I arrived at like five forty, So it was perfect. <laughs> Hardly time to get out of your running shoes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I'm, uh, I don't think we've had any requests from anybody coming across the finish line when I've caught them to take them straight to the press conference. You probably were the first. <laughs> <laughs> So um, you've talked about Sailfish. Uh, when did that actually start and when did the idea for Sailfish get into your mind? Because I guess there was a while for it to sort of germinate before you actually did something about it. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, uh, you know, I was, as I said earlier, in, in, in the finance industry. And um, and then once I got into, into triathlon, 2002, 2003, 2004, um, I, I had a sponsor and, um, Xterra wetsuits and the uh, U S brand. And I, eventually, uh, they weren't, uh, rep- they weren't represented in Europe. So eventually I started selling the suits in Germany and in, in the rest of Europe in between 2004 and 2006 and, uh, build up the distribution network. Um, yeah, and then I thought uh, at some point that I can do it better and um, started uh, developing and started uh, trying stuff out and uh, innovating. And um, so that's that's when Safish was born in uh, in 2007. And it was three products back then, three, three wetsuits. That was it. And I would say we've come a long way. Um, it, it started with uh, three wetsuits and zero employees, and uh, yeah, at this at this point we have more than a hundred products in the in the company, and uh, we're almost uh, at twenty employees. Yeah, so it's been uh, fifteen interesting years. The background in business and finance must help, surely. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, I think uh, it was a very, 
Uh, I studied economics uh, that, that gave a gave a good framework and a good background, I would say. But then, um, you know, you can say what you want about investment banking, and and I know the ups and the downs of it. Uh, but uh, you know, you are. I think, at least in in my case, I think I was really taught on how to do business and how to be professional and how to present mm -hmm. and and what to do and customer service and so on and so forth. So that was those were two super super important learning uh, years. And um, I never thought that I was going to be an entrepreneur. I mean, that just kind of like happened. Uh, and uh, and then you grow into it, right? And uh, I never took on any investors or any outside capital. So when you grow organically, I think you also have to think a lot more about where to spend uh, your money. And that's when that I think that also came, comes in handy. Then when you have a pandemic arriving, and uh, th then you know what uh, you know where you need to uh, make adjustments in order to make it through safely. Yeah. Yeah, it, it feels like having that business background. It's the same in coaching. I, I see lots of coaches out there that are really good at coaching, but they don't. They either don't know how to sell themselves, or they just don't know how to manage their business, and so they never, they're never able to turn that passion into some sort of sustainable income. It ends up, you know, they're having to work because they've got children and they can't pay the bills, so then they can't coach effectively. Um, there's also some people who are probably average coaches, but are really good at business and have done really well for themselves. And then you get the, the sort of like the people who are really good at business and really good at coaching, and they're the ones who are flying. And I, and I guess you know it's not dissimilar whether you talk about people um, making bikes or running shoes or wetsuits. Uh, it's it's the same. It's a hundred percent the same. And uh, you know. Uh, I can only speak for myself. I mean, yes, I have an opinion on others, but uh, I think uh, you know we at Sailfish, it's pretty well rounded. I think we uh, mm -hmm. uh, we know what we're talking about in terms of wetsuits and triathlon gear. Uh, I think we make sound decisions business wise. Otherwise, we wouldn't have been around for fifteen years now. And um, we we take it one step at a time, and we we try to take care of uh, the, of our customers as best as as we can. And we don't, you know, we don't come out uh, and say we do everything a million times better than everybody else, uh, and then and then disappear two years later. Mm -hmm. We've seen all that, uh, but it's more of a of a steady ride, and I think it's probably also a lot um, more stress free ride <laughs> than than some of the others. Yeah, but the principles you mentioned there, getting the foundations right, having a steady progress. Um, would mirror what you've probably seen in your athletic career and and managing Patrick um, would mirror the the rise and fall of of athletes in that some people come along they zoom they have this atmospheric rise but then they crash and burn because they haven't got the foundations right so it's it's that tortoise versus hare slow and steady nearly always wins the day particularly in endurance. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you are, if you are, let's say, if you're uh, uh, inventing stuff and you're a genius, and then you patent an idea and you become rich with that patent, uh, kudos to you. But uh, you know, um, if, if I'm being mean, I, I shall say that uh, me myself, as an endurance person, you know, we d I lack the genius part. So I have to go the extra mile and, and, and have to stay in the game for longer. And um, I think we, or it is said that in order to be really good at something, you have to spend like 10,000 hours oh, on it. I think yep. somebody, yeah, isn't that the, the case? Yeah. yeah. So have I spent 10,000 hours on, on sailfish and wetsuits? For sure I have. So uh, it, it comes over time. But, but you see it reoccurring in, uh, in, in, in work, in play, uh, in, in anything pretty much in the, in the world. Yeah. You, you mentioned managing Patrick. Um, was that just a one-off? Was was there anybody else you managed, or um, I'm still managing uh, two athletes, two two youngsters. Um, one of them, actually, um, I I will well, actually, they they both deserve their names to be uh, said on on this on this podcast. Uh, one is Henry Graf. Uh, he's a German uh, ITU athlete. Mm -hmm. He's a uh, he's 21, and I believe he will um, he will well, he probably shouldn't listen to this because then I, now the pressure is on, right? But I think he will podium at the Olympics. Um, wow. um, maybe not in 24, but in in, in 28. Like he is by far better uh, than Jan Frodino at at the same age. 
And then the other one is Mika Not. Uh, he's also a young and uprising uh, star here in Germany. He's already on the on the 70.3 distance. He was the fastest German last year in St. George, uh, 10th place at, at the age of 21, second fastest runtime, and um, on, only got beaten on the run by by, by Gustav uh, Eden. And um, and uh, um, he won uh, 70.3 last year in France. So th I, I managed those two kids, um, definitely kids for the future. Um, and I've, I've managed Patrick for five years. It was a super interesting, um, uh, yeah, adventure and uh, let's say project. Uh, I think he, you know, we we won we won Hawaii together twice. Uh, I think I made him a quite a wealthy person, <laughs> um, so he doesn't have to worry about becoming a physio um, <laughs> uh, or to be to to go back as a physio um, after after uh, his his professional sports career. Not nothing against physios. Physios are super important in my life. I couldn't live without physios, but uh, for Patrick, he always wanted to grow out of it. You know, I, I still think he's got another four or five uh, great years in him, and um, she's always going to be a contender for Kona for the title when he's when he's fit um uh, there uh but it was it was very nice uh, also for me to uh, to do something else next to selfish uh mm -hmm. it, it to widen the horizon a bit to work with media to work with sponsors to bring new sponsors into the sport such as audi or, or adidas uh, uh, th those those haven't been in triathlon before and it, it can only be good for the sport of triathlon if if global brands like those uh, come in and, and have a look. So, mm. so I was quite happy with the work that, that we did there. Yeah. Do, does that managing athletes come as a result of offering them selfish sponsorship then? And then you, you realize that they need help with other aspects of sponsorship and you, you're in a position to offer that. Uh, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily so say so, so too much. Um, I, I think, um, I have now, uh, pretty much exactly 20 years of experience in, in the, in the industry and, um, been, been around as an athlete, as a race organizer, as an industry person. Uh, I know pretty much all the media people, uh, you know, the Federation, um, mm -hmm. you know, we're putting on a big, uh, event every year called the safest night of the year it's like a gala event where we celebrate the sport of triathlon so it's really like knowing it's a network right uh, and it's it's network and experience those are the things you can't buy so i think you know for me uh, to get uh, an athlete a sponsorship uh, or to get him into a race or so is it's it's a call or a whatsapp away Whereas somebody else who's not in, from the industry and, and has to build these ties first, it's oh, it's, a, it's a long way, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think that that was probably, or that is the 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 USP that I brought to the to the equation. Yeah. Mm. So, what's the future hold then? Um, you you still training as an athlete? You're going to come back and uh, try and take the record again? You're going to come and you're going to make a big appearance at Kona for your 50th birthday? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm. Uh, this is what something that I can say uh, with a hundred percent certainty that um, that was my my last Kona in uh, in 2018 because I always I, I truly believe that you should stop when it's at, at its very best, and I couldn't imagine a better day than that day, and uh, I don't want anything else to 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 uh, yeah to spoil that in the future. Um, will I do a triathlon again? Probably, uh, but not now. Um, I'm really perfectly content with with the sporting career. But um, yeah, what is next? Next is um, America, and uh, we have decided to take the brand to the US. And it's coming up in a few weeks' time um, that I'm actually going to the US myself and. Uh, going to be doing a three months road trip across the entire US uh, and and yeah just started from the ground up go to uh, go to visit uh, teams and uh, lakes and show up at open water swims and bring some demo suits talk about uh, talk about swimming talk about open water swimming talk about my experiences in in the sport um, and at the same time hopefully uh, laying the foundations for sailfish America and is it going to be a road trip? Are you, are you going to do the tourist thing and drive from spot to spot? 
Um, yes, I mean we're um, I'm, I'm buying a car right now in uh, in San Francisco, and uh, we will drive down. Um, I'm going with my girlfriend. We're driving down the the West Coast all the way to mm. San Diego, mm. and we'll be in St. George for the World Championships in early May. Um, then we'll drive all across the country, all the way to Washington. And then up the East Coast, uh, back to my old uh, stomping grounds in Boston. And that's those are the three months. And I think it's going to be a trip of a lifetime. Wow. Kona in October? Kona in October, for sure. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Um, anything else that we need to know, Jan? Uh, you know, uh, maybe a, 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 you know, a quick shout out to the guys at uh, Precision Fuel and Hydration, uh, Andy Blow, uh, who we've entered a uh, cooperation uh, with. Um, so um, the, um, they took or they're helping us with um, uh, fulfillment uh, and warehousing in the U.S. So we'll have our U.S. warehouse uh, together with them in uh, Portland, in Oregon. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, uh, we started um, doing fulfillment for them in the EU here out of our warehouse in Germany. And uh, yeah, I haven't even met uh, Andy in person yet uh, and, and the crew, Johnny and, uh, and all the other guys. But uh, it's been a hell of a ride and uh, just a big shout out to them. It's, uh, it's been great uh, to see that... Uh, that kind of collaboration in our industry. No, it'd be interesting to see how that goes. I, I know Andy, I've known him a long time. He's been on the show a couple of times. They've, they've got a nice little organization developing there. Yeah. So we hope that one and one is more than more than two. And uh, I think we'll be perfectly hydrated and they should be warm and flexible and comfortable in the water if they decide to jump in. So um, it, it looks like a very fruitful uh, partnership. Perfect. Well, Jan, it's been fabulous to chat with you. I'm sure we've passed uh, you know, each other in Kona at times and stood next to each other on the on the harbour side watching Mike Riley start the race. But uh, it's really nice to catch up with you. Thanks for enlightening us on the developments of Sailfish and also for your insights into swimming for triathlon from somebody who's been there and done it and uh, yeah, can't get any faster than holding the record in Kona. So it's been, been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much, Simon, for having me on the show. Okay, take care now. You too. Thank you to Jan for being a guest on this week's High Performance Human podcast. As usual, there are links to all of today's discussion topics in the show notes below. To make sure that you don't miss any episode in the future, please go to iTunes, search for the High Performance Human Triathlon podcast and subscribe. If you'd like specific guidance and structure, then please think about joining my SWAT Inner Circle where we have training plans for all types of endurance events and all ages and experiences of athletes, as well as monthly live workshops diving deep on specific subjects. The investment is £50 a month and, as with everything else, you can find the link for joining in the show notes below. If you have any questions, please address them to beth at thetriathloncoach.com and we can make sure we give you a prompt answer. Right, that's all for now. Have a great week and I'll see you on the next episode.